Today's live on web program on on-demand delivery is sponsored by Clean Energy. Hello, I'm Dan Berth, Senior Features Writer at Transport Topics, and welcome to our live on web program today. We're going to be talking about a transformation that is occurring in the market for local delivery services, and which could, I think, change the way we all think about how we provide transportation and logistic services in the future. This was a subject of a cover story for the top 50 logistics companies feature in the April 4th edition of Transport Topics. I hope you all read that. Our program today is sponsored by Clean Energy. And you can read more about this company at the bottom of this article's page anytime during the program. We invite your participation in today's program as well. You can email questions or comments to share at ttnews.com or comment directly on this article page anytime during the program. Joining me um, to talk about on-demand delivery and its implications for logistics, service providers, and freight transportation companies is Evan Armstrong. He is president of Armstrong & Associates, a logistics research and consulting firm. And next to him, Jason Moser. He's an analyst for The Motley Fool. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Dan. This is a story with many different angles, and one that has the potential, I think, to uh, disrupt the market for parcel delivery, less than truckload freight hauling, home delivery, even the postal services. Um, you know, the market for local delivery is really very crowded right now. But despite that, since, 19, uh, since uh, 2014, more than a billion dollars has been invested in uh, startup companies. And many of these companies are providing uh, what's come to be known as on-demand delivery services. Companies like Postmates and Uber, for example, using mobile apps to arrange for deliveries and using networks of individual drivers uh, to complete the process. We have companies that deliver groceries uh, and fully prepared meals, and plus retail goods. Um, we have a company now that delivers fuel directly to your car. Um, and just this morning, I read about a company that uh, will deliver alcohol to uh, your person, wherever that might be. So. Uh, Instead of going to stores uh, to shop for goods, more and more it seems like we want goods to come to us, wherever we happen to be. So Evan, let's start with you. Why is this happening, and what do you think will become of some of these new service providers that we're seeing on the marketplace? Do they represent a serious challenge to the existing service providers? Oh, thank you, Dan. Um, I mean, we, we can talk about why it's happening, right? So when you look at the logistics costs in the United States, total logistics costs are about 1.4 billion. Of that, about half is trucking. So 700 billion is trucking related. So the piece, uh, the pie is pretty big, and I think a lot of people want a piece of it, especially in some of the, uh, the faster growing areas and segments. So um, when we talk about startups, um, you know, Companies similar to like the Uber of trucking, as as the the terms have been bantered around, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, I think it makes sense. It makes sense. There is some, you know, you can argue how much empty capacity there, there is within trucking, and how much can be utilized through better information sit, um, sharing and increased visibility. Um, but even at five percent, if you say five percent of the total empty miles can be taken care of, you're talking about 35 billion of potential revenue. So 5% of the $700 billion trucking market. So, you know, the potential's there, and I think uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how it turns out. I do think there are some issues around, you know, legality within some of the mar models. Do you have to be a property Broker, for instance, you know, do you have to have the meet the surety bond requirements that freight brokers have to have? But it, uh, it will be interesting to see how some of these firms evolve. Um, we're putting together a list as a company of of all these uh, on-demand types of um, startups that we're looking at, and you know, companies like Trucker Path have gotten 21.5 million 
of financing Cargomatic 10.6, U-Ship, um, which is a little different model, 44.7 million of investor mm -hmm. money. So a lot of money is flowing into these types of new startup companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Jason, um, you've, your company spends a lot of time analyzing the, the market for um, um, particularly Parcel and, um, and, uh, and Amazon. I know you follow very closely. Sure. So uh, what do you think of these developments in the local delivery marketplace, and do you see them as a disruptive force for? Yeah, I, mean, I think when we look at Amazon, and, and uh, you mentioned we cover it at work. We do own it in the portfolio that I, I work with, Molly Pool Million Dollar Portfolio. Amazon is a holding of ours, and I actually personally own Amazon shares myself, so there's some belief in the company, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I think Ed made a great point there when he mentioned uh, empty capacity. And a time ago, when, when commerce was really conducted you know, at the store, we went to the mall or to the store to get our goods, uh, that was just sort of the way the commerce model worked. Now, with the internet, with mobile technology, uh, I think we're seeing a lot more empty capacity out there because we're expecting those goods to come to us. And so the genius, I think, behind these startups, and they're not all going to succeed, but, but the good operators will succeed, and I think because there's plenty more empty capacity out there, and, and with wanting to get all of these goods brought to us instead of going to get them, you're basically just leveraging an infrastructure that's already in place. And so you're able to keep your costs down considerably, uh, which for companies like Uber, you know, they run obviously a very capital light model because they don't have all of those physical assets. So that works very well for them. And, and just basically looking at drivers on the road now being more than just drivers on the road. They can serve more than just that purpose of driving from point A to point B. If I'm going someplace, well, I can either take someone uh, while I'm going there or I can drop off a package while I'm going uh, there as well. Uh, so you know, it used to be we would have our pizza delivered or we would have things that we ordered delivered later. Now, with the click of a button, having everything we want delivered. Uh, so it's, it's a tremendous market opportunity, I think, out there, not just for the startups, but really for the big players in the space as well. And I suspect that we will continue to see this opportunity grow. And, and certainly, I think the cream will rise to the top here. The winners, I think, uh, will become very obvious. And uh, I, I, I suspect this will, will just, just continue to become a more attractive opportunity for, for years to come. Mm. And what I think, Dan, too, is one thing that we have to reflect on is what happened with like DAT, DAT, you know, um, internet truck stop, get loaded. A lot of those load boards initially in the early 2000s, there was talk about disintermediary activity, um, you know, how it was going to impact 3PLs, you know, where's it going to put, put freight brokers out of business. But what really happens with these technologies is those companies, and a lot of them are these domestic transportation managers, that are actively managing transportation on behalf of customers tend to be the customers of these applications. So if you look at that, if you look at Internet Truck Stop, if you look at Get Loaded, a lot of the loads being posted on there are being done by, by 3PLs. And I think we'll probably see the same thing with the, the Uber of trucking um, apps that a lot of them will be utilized by 3PLs as a way to find capacity, uh, maybe more in short-haul lanes or in uh, uh, areas where there's some capacity on dedicated runs. But, you know, that's what I would kind of look at. It. So I don't really see it as a disintermediation. I see it as a tool that's going to be utilized by whoever is actively managing the transportation. Mm -hmm. Do, are either one of you willing to um, say who uh, among these startup companies have are the most successful or have the most potential to succeed? Or are there some um, you know, companies that you believe have already demonstrated that uh, they can uh, succeed in this kind of marketplace? And you want to name names? Any? I, I mean, I'll throw <laughs> a couple out. I mean, Uber is obviously the... Yeah. the big one out there that probably everybody's familiar with today, but when we look at it from more of a, a commercial perspective, I mean, some of the some of the businesses that we cover that we own at the Motley Pool, uh, Whole Foods Market, for example, you see them partnering with Instacart to arrange for the delivery of groceries, and that's rolled out in, into 16 of their major markets and continues to grow very quickly because the demand is there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think Postmate, I believe, is, is the other one that 
is working with uh, businesses like Chipotle to, to deliver lunch and dinner to people that want to order it and don't necessarily want to go to the restaurant to get it. Um, and then you, you look at businesses like Grubhub, for example, that are, again, from a restaurant tourist perspective, this has to be attractive because, again, you're just adding incremental sales uh, to, to those customers that may not visit your restaurant otherwise. So I think there are definitely some names that are floating to the top there. Those are three that really strike me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, okay. I, and I think some, somebody like Uship too. Uship, you know, I, I believe they're working with say, say you buy a large yacht and an auction. You know, Uship is part of that shopping cart too to arrange um, the final tr- delivery to the customer. So, um, yeah, they did many different models, and some actually have nice pieces of business that they built already. Yeah. So it's real. Oh, yeah. it, it's, uh, that's the. Uh, the bottom line, I think. Okay, let's take a little closer look at, at the phenomena of online shopping and what it means for the transportation business. <clears throat> uh, right now, online sales um, account for about 7.5% of total retail sales, but that market share is projected to double uh, by 2020 uh, based on the data I've seen. So, and this appears to be um, turning the world of retailing upside down, right? Creating uh, a market for the delivery of goods on demand. Uh, um, and Amazon is uh, already a primary force uh, in this marketplace, offering free two-day shipping to customers who pay an annual fee of $99. Um, Google is also doing something very similar, right, with a a service called Google Express, um, which recently expanded into six Midwestern states. So, Evan, the demand for same-day delivery appears to be growing uh, along with online sales. Um, I think Postmates told me that they're making a million deliveries a month now, for example. Um, But not everyone's convinced that... um, there's uh, a strong demand for, for same-day delivery. Uh, UPS did a survey of online shoppers recently and found that uh, a s- very small percentage actually um, uh, want same-day shipping, um, or they pick that most often. Um, almost half of the people they surveyed said they'd be willing to wait six uh, days for delivery if it was free. Uh, there's a correlation here between fast and free, uh, and which we may talk about a little bit more later. But um, um, how would you describe the market demand for same-day delivery? And is it an, uh, a big opportunity for um, logistics service providers, or is it overblown? When I, was, when I was at RPS, which is now FedEx Ground in 1994, we were, we were talking about all these topics, too. And at that point, we mm-hmm. had some where the, the standard delivery time was eight eight or more days. So anyway, it's it's uh, it's a uh, interesting area. I think it's all built on expectation. I, I think if you're an Amazon Prime customer now and you order something that isn't Amazon Prime, you're and it comes to you in five days instead of two days, it feels like it's taking forever, right? <laughs> so it's, it's uh, you know, what used to be commonplace in terms of ground service uh, now seems pretty slow, and I think we've gotten uh, pretty spoiled with, with products like uh, Amazon Prime. So I think same-day delivery, next-day delivery, if that becomes more of the nor- norm, then I think it's going to increase expectations as well. I think you have to weigh it against any additional costs if there are additional costs, and uh, you know, you know, at some point we might talk about green and sustainability again, and and uh, you know, what it takes from a a logistics cost standpoint to have that happen uh, might come up. You know, when we, you know, when I used to be an LTL pricing guy, forty percent of our cost on most of our LTL shipments involved delivery. Right, just the delivery portion. So it's you know it is a high cost. So it's going to have to happen in ways that utilize capacity better. And you know I know you're going to talk about drones and other things. So you know things that that lower cost, utilizing unused capacity, those types of things. Um, you know that make the cost equation more favorable. Yeah, you know I think we have to. The question of what it costs to deliver is is something that's um, um, a little bit uh, hard to 
put your finger on right now because uh, so many co uh, companies are offering free delivery and they're subsidizing the cost of that, sure. right? Jason, you know, uh, Amazon, for example, spends $11 billion a year now on shipping, uh, but it collects only a fraction of that from customers. I think its net shipping costs last year were about $5 billion. Yeah. Is that sustainable? Uh, and is there a, 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 are we getting to a point of reckoning where, you know, the costs of, of, of delivery are going to have to be uh, borne by customers, maybe well, more I, than they are now? I think that's, that's a great question. I think it's a great point uh, regarding the costs involved with delivery. And, and that's really been the biggest hurdle, I think, for so many companies for so many years is trying to figure out how the economics work because every quarter when Amazon brings their earnings release to the table, Wall Street continues to be confounded by the fact that this company can bring in so much in revenue, yet bring in so little profitability-wise. But when you look at actually what the business is doing, what they have done over the past 10 or 11 years uh, since they brought Prime to the marketplace, it all starts to become a little bit more clear because when you, th you think about one of the fundamental parts of that equation in costs of, of delivery, one of the fundamental parts of that equation is the distance between the product and the consumer. And so if we go back to 2005 when Amazon rolled out Prime, they had 13 fulfillment centers around, around the globe. Mm. Uh, last year, well, at the end of 2014, that number stood at 109 fulfillment centers. And so what they've done a good job doing is taking this business that generates a lot of money in sales, they just crossed $100 billion, I think, here this past uh, year, and plowing that money back into building out that infrastructure. The, the big advantage of Amazon is not only that they've been able to grow to this scale so quickly, but that the business is not solely reliable on just its e-commerce operations. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have an Amazon Web Services side of the business that's extremely profitable, and now uh, they've started breaking that out in their earnings uh, releases, so we understand uh, it plays a very significant role uh, in, in that company's revenue and profitability. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so we're able to look at Amazon beyond just an e-commerce play, but, but I think that we've gotten to this point now where, yeah, they're, they're, they're continuing to sort of bear the costs in building out this, this infrastructure, but nobody can even come close to matching it. So now it starts to make a little bit more sense why Jeff Bezos has spent the money that he's spent over the past decade, because now he has this global footprint that it's going to be pretty difficult for anyone to match. And I, we, we always kind of frame the question as analysts. If we look at Amazon, it's a $250 billion market cap company or whatever it is. If I give someone that money and say, okay, now go out there and just beat Amazon, figure out what you have to do to match it and beat it, that's far, e far easier said than done. You know, they, they've developed a competitive advantage in this market that is going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to support. Here, he continues to roll out additional services, trying to dictate consumer behaviors. They find markets where same-day delivery uh, is, is desired, and that's not going to be in every market. Uh, but you see the, to the, the same-day delivery in 35 markets now. Uh, you see the one-hour delivery in 30 markets now. And, and they're very good about testing and learning. And the markets where it doesn't work, they pull back. The markets where it does work, they continue to, to attack and grow it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, th I think just on, on, on a note, uh, kind of tying Amazon to third-party logistics, if you look at the... You know, our number is 108 million square feet of space in Amazon facilities. Mm. And if you, if you said all of that was third-party logistics space, that would make them the third largest warehousing and distribution company behind DHL, who has 248 million square feet, and XPO through the Norbert Dentris angle and, and Renault acquisitions at 151 million square feet. So significant uh, warehousing square, uh, footprint. Sure, and, and that proves to be a tremendous value for their third-party partners because now you're, you're a small business that maybe doesn't have the expertise or the, the resources to set up that sort of fulfillment and distribution. Well, now you have Amazon that can, that can help you do it, and they obviously uh, have some expertise in that area. So is it fair to say that Amazon today is a logistics company? Um, I, I would agree with yeah. that statement personally, yes. They certainly look like one. They're a logistics company. They, they haven't quite gone to market as a third-party right. logistics provider. Though. So, so okay. a lot of the pieces, but I think to Jason's point, a lot of it's just to have the infrastructure for the, uh, the e-retail customers. Okay. 
Okay, great. Well, let's uh, shift gears a little and talk a, a little bit more about Uber, which is another fascinating company um, uh, with a very high value, uh, in part because people expect uh, it to do great things in the future, including possibly carrying packages and freight along with passengers. Uh, we'll see about that. But, uh, um, Evan, you know, we, when we... We, you mentioned this earlier. We people use the term Uber of trucking, Uber of shipping, to describe ways in which we can match shipments with freight hauling capacity and make the the whole system operate more efficiently. So, is um, is that the way we should think about Uber? Uh, and uh, um, is is there uh, and is it working to squeeze more capacity out of the uh, the, the network, the freight networks and well, I do you think, think? I think it's a little early to, to 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 judge if it's working or not. I think uh, you know it seems like there's some interesting models um, there. You can definitely make an argument for it. Uh, I know we were talking earlier today about the electronic logging data. If there was a way to aggregate that and and tap into that, you know, you might be able to identify where carrier capacity is and try to try to fill it through an app or, or some other method. I think if you talk to any uh, dedicated contract carriage 3PL, you know, they're all for finding ways to um, take up any excess capacity that they currently, uh, you know, currently can't fill with existing business. So um, I think there's there's potential. I think it, it's, you know, it's, you know, in a lot of short haul lanes, there are because you have driver requirements, because you have time windows, you know, you might not always fill backhaul capacity, but, you know, if you have longer haul lanes that allow for some time to coordinate it, by time in Uber terms, you're talking 15, 20 minutes, right? Um, maybe something can happen there. Okay. Um, you're watching uh, live on web, and uh, the focus of today's program is on on-demand uh, delivery. Um, once again, the sponsor of our, t our program today is Clean Energy. Um, we invite viewers to contribute questions or comments uh, online or on this article page. Um, we welcome your participation. Um, we have some questions that did come in from some of our viewers and, and readers. Um, that I'd like to put to our panelists. Uh, um, Evan, for you, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Michael Nicholson asks, uh, with all the new entrants to the industry, how will customers be able to screen for reliable carriers and brokers uh, with no proven history, uh, especially in this era of fraud? Um, what do you think? Well, I think, I think uh, <clears throat> it goes back to, you know, Who's going to actively manage the transportation? What kind of database are they going to maintain? Right? You have you have um, resources like like Transcore, like uh, um, Carrier Four One One um, that help in those aspects in terms of aggregating operating authority insurance uh, information. And I, I think it's you know those types of services definitely help. I know Mercury Gate has a similar service, so. You know, having the aggregation of those services helps. And then I think it's going to come down to regula regulation of these types of companies. You know, are they property brokers? What are they doing that's different than property brokers? So they don't have to have operating authority and insurance. Um, you know, so I think some, some legal contests are going to happen and have to get shaken out, um, you know, in this emerging market. And then hopefully in the end it, it helps shippers, it helps uh, Three PLs and helps everybody in terms of you know um, with with cap capacity utilization. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, we have a question from Kevin West. He asks, "How can small trucking companies leverage these changes and not be swept away by them?" Um, again, this kind of goes to the question of uh, you have a lot of companies in the marketplace providing local delivery now, but. Should they feel threatened by uh, some of these changes, or is there a way for them to benefit? Um, well, I think if you're a small, especially within a metro area, um, you know, it may or may not have much benefit to you, depending on how much time you have between stops or, or things like that. Um, but I think, I think you 
have to um, I think you have to look at it as a you know no matter where you play out in the supply chain I think you have to look at it as an opportunity if you're currently a carrier you know much like other parts of your service line if you're currently a carrier and you don't have a freight brokerage operation or a non-asset operation you should definitely have a non-asset operation to um, you know provide services to your company much like you know you know working with one of these companies might help you um, fulfill unmet customer needs so I mm -hmm. I look at the I look at all these these changes as a as a potential opportunity mm -hmm. uh, Jason um, do you follow uber very much uh, I've definitely used it as a consumer. Um, it's, it. it's a bit of a different uh, beast because it's not a publicly traded company, so the information is is limited. But uh, yeah, I, I well, follow okay. it. My, uh, we had a question from uh, John Sheehan who asked, "Do you see an Uber-like opportunity in the last mile for parcels?" And so this gets to the question of, uh, will we see Uber deliver more than passengers in the near future? Do you have any ideas? There? Well, yeah, I mean, I think we're already in the midst of watching that, you know, un un unwind, so to speak. Uh, it was just a few years ago, for example, where we saw uh, Amazon dealt with a little bit of, of uh, blowback from customers during the holiday season because there was such an onslaught of, of orders placed via Amazon for the holiday season, and their, their suppliers, UPS, FedEx, USPS, it, it was difficult for them to... to take care of, of that demand. And so uh, what we've seen since then is, is companies like Amazon looking more into that last mile and seeing how they can better control that last mile. And going back to, to our earlier conversation about sort of leveraging that infrastructure that's already in place, that's, that's part of what this is, is learning new ways to be able to leverage the opportunities, the resources that are already out there. And so while Uber has uh, proven to be quite disruptive in taking us from point A to point B uh, in a very convenient and transparent fashion. Uh, certainly, commerce is, is a little bit behind that, but for good reasons. I think there are more moving parts there. I think the regulations and liabilities that have to, to, to be taken into consideration, those are regulations that were written far, far before, I think, well, before the Internet was really, ever really an issue and e-commerce was even a concept. Uh, so I, I think that as time goes on, we'll continue to see partnerships. I think we'll continue to see experimentation in new ways to really make that last mile, turn it into the opportunity that, that, that Evan was talking about there. Uh, because I, I, I agree, I think that's, that's an opportunity right there. It's, it's, it's not a matter of if, but it's just a matter of when. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I might take just a moment to... To, to let everyone know that I did speak with uh, an executive at Uber yesterday, as a matter of fact, uh, Sunil Dulavoy, uh, probably butchered his name, but he's head of uh, something called Uber Everything, which probably tells you all you need to know about <laughs> what this company has plans, right? Um, but his focus right now is, is expanding the business for what he calls Uber Rush. Now, this is a parcel uh, Package delivery, grocery delivery, uh, local, anything uh, that you need delivered, uh, they can do it. And it's, it was interesting to hear him say that um, um, uh, they're approaching this business a little bit differently than their ride-sharing business. They're providing, uh, they're recruiting drivers, uh, including uh, former truck drivers, uh, to uh, come into this program um, and and uh, they're providing special training, and they're offering insurance as part of the deal. So I think this is uh, a, a reflection of this is what their customers need. Uh, they're accustomed to working with commercial carriers, and, and they want some assurances that if they use Uber, it, they're going to have uh, some of the same protections and, and service. Uh, uh, the difference uh, uh, could be, uh, I think, is that... Uh, uh, Uber believes it can provide this service very fast, very cheap. And uh, that's uh, something I think everyone in the transportation business has to uh, get their uh, arms around. You know, how can they compete with that kind of service? Uh, may maybe have to change the way they operate. So we'll see. All right. Well, um, one of the things that could very well change uh, is, is the vehicles that we use to make deliveries in the future. Uh, let's take a moment to uh, consider 
what's going on because there's a lot of experimentation going on. We put together this brief video montage of some of the more interesting new delivery vehicles on the market. So take a look. Package delivery networks of the future may look very different from the ones that exist today. Instead of truck drivers picking up and dropping off packages, unmanned aerial vehicles such as Amazon's Prime Air Drone and DHL Express's Parcel Copter could carry packages from local distribution centers directly to the doorsteps of customers. Amazon, which made a big splash by announcing its drone program on a 60 Minutes broadcast, says testing is ongoing and could be deployed as soon as next year. Even UPS Inc., the nation's largest package carrier and the largest logistics company in North America, sees potential for the technology. It has invested in a company in Massachusetts that makes drones for emergency shipments. Starship Technologies, a company started by the founders of Skype, has developed a self-driving delivery cart that transports goods on the ground using remote control guidance systems and allowing customers to access packages with their smartphones. Now, a U.S. company called Dispatch is developing its version of an autonomous delivery vehicle, which it has nicknamed Carry. It's about three feet long and tall and has multiple compartments for packages and bags. It travels at a walking speed of up to four miles an hour. It is being piloted on two college campuses in California and could be part of a network of autonomous vehicles operating in cities across the country. Another fascinating application of self-driving vehicle technology is called the Transwheel, a device that uses a self-balancing mechanism, similar to a Segway, that can be used to carry small packages. Here's what it looks like. Even more remarkable is the possibility of attaching multiple devices to the sides of containers or trailers to create an autonomous delivery vehicle. Google is testing driverless cars and could use the technology to operate fleets of autonomous delivery trucks. Getting these cars out into the public and allowing people to react to them, allowing us to see them out there, I think that's a huge deal. And, and most importantly, it's, it's the necessary step to getting them to drive themselves. When we think about safety, when we think about giving people mobility, and then when you start to think longer term about the impact on cities and the ability to reclaim space and to reduce congestion and free up parking, this is something where we can have a huge impact. It's exciting to see the arc of this project as it's moved to something that's starting to be realized and then, you know, the next step where we get to start to see people using it and really, that'll be just fantastic. So when are we likely to see these new delivery vehicles? Maybe sooner than you think since it appears that Domino's has come up with a robotic vehicle to deliver its products in Australia.
Yes. Hello. Welcome back. Um, let's talk to um, both Evan and, and Jason about uh, what is feasible and what's fantasy in terms of, of future delivery vehicles. Uh, um, J um, Evan, you want to start? Uh, well, we're just going to beam everybody all, <laughs> all over the place, right? Uh-huh. Um, well, it's, it's interesting. I think, you know, you look at some of the, the robotic handling equipment within warehouses, um, the, like the Kiva systems that yeah. Amazon uses. Yeah, it's a very shrewd acquisition. Um, mm. And then when we talk about drones, I, don't know, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've done some work for a company called Pink Solutions. They do yard management software. They actually have a drone that goes around and reads RFID tags on trailers. It's integrated with their systems. It's a oh. very efficient, very good way to get that done instead of having people go out and do yard checks within a yard. So I think the technology is moving fairly fast, and I think there's a lot of good ways it can be deployed. And, and as long as people keep thinking of them, I think it's uh, um, going to be a pretty interesting next 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's more reality than fantasy. I think the technology, there's no question really... As, as to the technology, I think it's really the regulations being able to sort of keep up because it is, I, it, it can, there are all sorts of different words you can use to think about drones flying all over the sky and delivering people's goods, right? I mean, um, scary, efficient, clean. I mean, it, it, it covers the spectrum. But, but I do think that uh, it, it is going to be uh, a landscape where we see drones, where we see self-driving cars. I think it's... It's setting up the infrastructure to be able to accommodate that. The technology is there, but you look at our roads, for example, I, I don't think that we're quite set up for, for self-driving cars yet. The cars are fine. I think that we need to make sure we have all of the, the uh, safety sort of precautions in place to, to prevent any uh, you know, unwanted results. But, but I think it's not going to be one solution much like energy. It's not, it's not all going to come down to one answer. It's going to be contribution from a, a number of different things. And uh, so I think that, uh, that again, it's, it's a matter of, of when, not if. All right. What about the uh, use of lockers or actual storefronts for pickup? Uh, UPS, uh, for example, has, has a program now where they're you can have a package um, held at a local business uh, close to where you live if you want to. Anything that's more convenient than bringing it to your home, which is problematic, for, let's face it, for a lot of uh, people who are making deliveries. Uh, people aren't home that much. But, um, and uh, um, it was suggested to me, uh, in fact, that you know, packages in the future could eventually be delivered uh, directly to individuals uh, using your smartphone as a... Um, a location device, right? And you don't you don't need to have it delivered to a place, to be delivered to a person. Um, I don't. Know, do you think these um, um, are good solutions or that will be part of the, the landscape in the future for local delivery? These remote uh, well, lockers I, I and mean, people so have P had PO boxes for a long time, yeah. right? So it's yeah. a, it's something fairly similar. I, I think that's true. I think it's wherever you know wherever demand takes you. I think. Uh, you know, most people would prefer to have them delivered to your home or a place of business. But, you know, if, if somebody's interested in getting their diapers delivered to them en route to the, to the house, then <laughs> somebody's probably going to fulfill that need at some point. So um, I think, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities to explore. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Um, do either one of you want to say anything more about, this is a question that came in from a viewer, but about UPS and, and FedEx Ground specifically, the, the, the viewer was asking about, what future do you see for, for those businesses? Do you see them changing at all? Uh, or do you see them um, um, benefiting or being hurt competitively by some of the new delivery um, services that we're seeing in the marketplace. What do you think? I mean, I, I tend to look at this as an opportunity for for a lot of of companies out there to sort of take part in what is really a a monumental shift in the way that that we do business, the way that commerce flows around this country and really around the world. Uh, 
companies like FedEx and UPS that have these tremendous infrastructures already in place, tremendous fleets, and they're really good at what they do. We talk about Amazon getting into this line of work, and is that a, is that a competitor? Is that the death blow for any of these businesses? I tend to look at it from the other perspective and think, well, I think really what this does is it more or less validates the market in the first place, and it's becoming such a big market opportunity that there's no one company, I think, that, that would actually be able to have the physical presence, uh, the logistic uh, network to, to fulfill it all. I mean, you, you mentioned at the beginning of, of the show here that that U.S. e-commerce really only represents about 7.5% of the overall retail picture here, which tells us there is a lot of room still to run here. In, in a lot of the ways I look at the world today is I look at my 9- and 11-year-old daughters and think about how they're going to be behaving when they're my age, um, and I think it's going to be significantly different than how we behaved when I was a child. Um, and so I think that your businesses like UPS and FedEx will be looking at this as an opportunity. And I think that another example there in the United States Postal Service, we saw them partner up with Amazon in order to be able to utilize that infrastructure a little bit more wisely, getting packages from point A to point B. And so now you may have the Postal Service bring you a package that you ordered from Amazon on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, that wouldn't have happened 10 years ago, but now, again, utilizing the resources that are already out there in a more efficient, effective way, the businesses benefit from it, consumers benefit from it, and uh, so yeah. that's sort of how I see yeah. it. Yeah, this is, this is a situation that uh, I think you've used this term in your analysis of coopetition, right? Mm-hmm. This is where a company like Amazon is a competitor and a customer. Sure. Uh, yeah. And, and that... that I guess we're likely to see that go on for a while before it all sorts out, right? Yeah, and then, I mean, they do leverage, Amazon works with quite a few 3PLs, and, you know, they do leverage some of the existing third-party logistics provider infrastructure. If you look at what XPO does with Amazon, uh, you know, in terms of handling returns in Europe, um, some of the oversized stuff that doesn't fit well into Amazon fulfillment centers, you know, it's, 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 you know, it can work in both ways. I know on the freight forwarding side, um, to do international freight forwarding, Amazon works with, with other providers. Um, interesting tidbit is that if, you, if you're sitting in China, you actually have to provide your ID to the government, and the 3PL has to check it before you can receive an import, a cross-border import. So interesting processes when you start dealing with cross-border e-commerce. So anyway, so I think I think uh, you know there's there's plenty of opportunity there, and it's it's um, there's opportunities to work with Amazon, and then opportunities you know speeding up delivery, smallage package, small package infrastructure. There's a lot now, but as you can see with what Amazon's done, um, I mean it's a lot of it's being soaked up, and there's you know if you look go to World, World Port facility and. Louisville and see what's going on there. Every fourth package looks like it's an Amazon package. So it's just the, the infrastructure required to push those, push that volume into the small package arena out of other modes is pretty incredible. And, and I think we're seeing a lot of that in, in terms of current utilization. All right, thank you. Um, to get a little better sense of how Amazon is different from any other company you, <laughs> we know of, um, I spent some time with uh, Philip Evers. Uh, excuse me, Philip Evers. He's a professor of logistics and supply chain management at the University of Maryland. Here's a little of what he had to say. Hello, I'm uh, Dan Berth with Transport Topics, and I'm here with uh, Dr. Philip. Evers. He's uh, Associate Professor of Supply Chain Management at the Robert H. Smith School of Business at the University of Maryland. And uh, Dr. Evers, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Dan. Um, We'd like to pick your brain a little about uh, the phenomena of the online commerce, uh, especially the online retail business. Uh, How would you say it is affecting uh, the transportation marketplace in terms of goods uh, distribution? Well, I think one of the, the main ways it's affected uh, transportation and transportation industry 
is the focus on smaller packages and the movement of smaller items to, to multiple or to, to, to far more locations than uh, previous. Uh, if you looked at transportation in the past, it was primarily business to business and in larger quantities, so case loads or pallet loads or, or vehicle loads. And, uh, and of course, all that still, still remains. But now on top of all that, you have a lot of business to, to uh, customer or business to consumer uh, shipping in very small quantities, small you know individual items, and uh, locations throughout the well, not only throughout the country but throughout the continent and throughout the world. So, just the patterns of, of shipping have have dramatically changed, or not even changed, but increased because mm-hmm. you still have the business to business aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, my feeling is that the, this new demand for um, uh, local delivery is something that we're not quite capable of of uh, providing because it seems like uh, in, in the world of online commerce, uh, customers expect uh, fast uh, service and cheap <laughs> service. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have many companies providing or offering free delivery and so forth, which just encourages more people to, to do things that way. So. Um, What's your feeling about the, the capabilities that exist today and what may be uh, needed in the future to accommodate this business? Well, it's funny. I'll comment on a couple of things. First, you said it was, it was free, trans, uh, free delivery. Mm-hmm. And, and while it might be free to the, the customer, yeah. some, someone's paying for it. Yeah. So, I mean, so, someone is paying for this, and, and I think we'll probably get to that in the future. Yeah. Uh, but um, um, it's interesting because... We've actually had an organization in this country that that has uh, serviced every household for the past 200 years, and that's the U.S. Postal Service. Mm-hmm. And they've been handling, you know, mail for you know mm-hmm. first-class mail like that for 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 you know since the beginning of, of this country. But now what we're doing is adding on this whole, you know, freight piece, which is I, I think really uh, taxed our infrastructure, and has really put a focus on the last mile delivery. And I know every firm, including uh, uh, you know, truckload freight companies, deal with the last mile delivery issue. And it's just exacerbated that problem dramatically. Yeah. It's a, let's talk about Amazon specifically. Now, this is uh, the, the, the largest internet retailer by far. And uh, we've seen it make some moves uh, to control more of the freight or more of the package delivery uh, that they do. Um, um, do you think that the Amazon represents a competitive threat to um, the industry? Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough question. I, 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 as an outsider looking at Amazon, it's hard to say where this will end, mm. what, what, the, what the end will be. Uh, in one sense, this may work out very well for Amazon, in which case they could be a real problem for uh, especially for our uh, UPS and for FedEx and even for the U.S. Postal Service, uh, some of their uh, some of their primary carriers. Uh, on the other hand, who knows? Maybe maybe this is something that they try and, and, and it doesn't work. And in the end, they they bail out of it and basically no no harm no foul. Though I suspect UPS and FedEx will remember that. But I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I sus- you know it's just hard to tell at this point. Uh, but they're certainly they're, they're certainly um, making a run at it, and I wouldn't be surprised if this grows a lot more in the future. Mm-hmm. You've written something recently about uh, uh, the fact that Amazon may face some unionization issues going forward, uh, uh, much like uh, uh, the parcel carriers do now uh, that are uh, use union labor and so forth. But could you explain what what issues you see developing there for Amazon, perhaps? Well, Amazon has been facing, you know, some organization issues within their distribution centers. And, and you know, there's been a push to, to representation uh, within their facilities. Uh, it strikes me that as they move more into transportation, and especially certain tri- types of tram- transportation, so air transportation, for example, uh, that industry tends to have most of their people, especially at the pilot level and at, at, at the technical level, tend to be unionized. So, you know, 
it, it seems to me that there there could be a certainly a possibility that they would face more tra uh, more unionization issues going forward. But would that make a difference? Do you think in terms of the company's uh, business strategy? I don't know in terms of their strategy so much as just now they have another player to, to, to face and, and, and to, to address. Mm -hmm. uh, Amazon's been pretty good about dictating a lot of their terms, and, and you know, as, as, as it should. Uh, but it, it's harder to do that when you've got others, you know, organized on the other side. So um, I, I think it's a real question for the future. Mm -hmm. You mentioned to me earlier that uh, you, Amazon is a very entrepreneurial company. Um, so might this be uh, something that would make it uh, more difficult for them to innovate? Uh, uh, the fact that they may, may have to deal with unions or third parties? Either, either, I'm not sure even if it would make it more difficult to innovate, but it certainly would, would put more pressure on them to use the assets that they have uh, more fully. So, mm -hmm. for example, uh, with these new airplanes that are coming on board, uh, if you've got, first, airplanes are expensive, and secondly, now if you have a, a, a workforce that also is, is very expensive to, or, or can become expensive to, to pay over time, you want to keep those planes moving all the time, full and, and, and going. And so it would just force uh, Amazon to really think about what they're doing and, and try to keep those planes going that you're watching live on web and the focus of today's program is on-demand delivery. The sponsor is Clean Energy. Uh, we still invite viewers to contribute questions or comments. You can send them to uh, share at ttnews.com or make them directly onto this article page. Um, I have a question uh, from a reader. Uh, his name's Brandon Beattie. Um, uh, who wants to know more about what technology we're likely to see Amazon use to, to um, uh, develop its business and and uh, and manage whatever fleet it may ultimately have uh, in terms of trucks, planes, or ships, or whatever? Uh, will they develop it internally, or will they source it from the industry? Do you, either one of you have uh, any thoughts about it? That is, that is a good question. I mean, we've seen, we've seen them take the acquisitive route in buying Kiva, for example, to, to staff their warehouses with robots, but then they're able to sort of develop that technology from there. Um, I think, generally speaking, uh, they'll, they'll continue to rely on uh, the, the data and just the time that they, the, the, the time and the experience that they have from from doing what they do in their fulfillment operations every day to continue to build out their their uh, technology in-house. But uh, they, they certainly aren't past making any acquisitions if they feel like it's it's something that can help sort of spur that along. Mm -hmm. Any ideas about what they, they might acquire? Uh, well, I think they're probably going to use whatever the technology, you know, meet the technology with the requirements, right? It seems like that's how they're building their infrastructure. So there, if there's off-the-shelf applications, they're probably going to utilize those if they make sense. I haven't been in a Amazon warehouse. I haven't seen them, you know, do the pick-pack operation for a while. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what, what they come up with technology-wise. Okay. Very good. Well, one final quick question. I want to ask Evan and, and uh, Jason both to give me uh, what they think the marketplace will look like in five years. Um, seems like a long time in, <laughs> not in today's terms, but for shippers, for trucking companies, for 3PLs, um, uh, what do you think we're going to see? Um, what, what's it going to look like in five years, do you think? You want it first. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that what, what we are going to see in the next five years is I think we'll continue to see, number one, in, in the retail space, a, a sort of thinning of the herd. Uh, it's very easy to speak about e-commerce and just talk about Amazon, but that certainly doesn't give credit to a lot of the operations out there that really are uh, focusing their business around e-commerce as well. And that that includes traditional retailers that are becoming more omni-channel, uh, and that also includes other businesses like Wayfair.com, for example, that's out there sort of trying to help reshape the way people shop for furniture. And, and I think what we're seeing is 
a lot of these traditional brick-and-mortar retailers are finding themselves a, a bit at odds with, with understanding exactly how relevant they're going to be here in the coming decade. And there's a lot of physical space out there, and it's not necessarily so clear what exactly is going to be done with all the physical space. So I think we're going to see some consolidation, and I think we're going to see a lot of that physical retail space be put to other uh, more productive use. I suspect Amazon is going to play a big part in dictating that, but I don't, I don't think they'll be the only one. I think we see companies like uh, Wayfair helping shape the industry as well. I think we'll find uh, a big, big focus on data around customer satisfaction, um, around whittling the cost down in shipping, which means really whittling the distance down uh, between the product and, and the consumer. Uh, in, yeah, like you said, five years, it can go, go by in the blink of an eye, but, but I think we'll continue to see that sort of accelerate. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Um, we're almost out of time. Before we end the program, I do want to spend a, a few minutes to talk about the top 50 logistics companies list itself this year. Um, um, and Evan, um, you helped us uh, develop this list uh, and, pro- and was a very important source of data for us. Um, it's an, uh, to me, it's another indication uh, 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 of the big getting bigger, right? And size certainly does seem to have some advantages if you're mm-hmm. in the logistics business. Um, um, it, XBO uh, Logistics uh, ranks number two this year, right behind UPS. I think some people might find that a little surprising, but um, uh, um, I think... Could you spend a few minutes commenting on, on sure. the trends that you see in the marketplace? Will this continue, this uh, acquisition and investment? Uh, Not to the extent seen? it did last year, because <laughs> everybody's integrating operations. So, uh, But, you know, 2015 was the year of mergers and acquisitions. Uh, we had an ample carrier capacity in the United States, motor carrier capacity, and we had a uh, market that was influenced by uh, sagging fuel prices. So... Uh, when we look at the, you know, the overall growth of the market, uh, net revenue, so after purchase transportation, grew at 5.8% to $72.8 billion. And uh, the overall gross revenues uh, only grew 1.5%. Now, these are our preliminary estimates, and probably in sometime at the end of May we'll have our final numbers. But a lot of the gross revenue growth was impacted by what happened in the fuel so fuel, as you know, is a pass-through. It does impact the overall gross revenues, but when the, the price of diesel went down, it impacted what happened with gross revenues in domestic transportation management and inter- international transportation management. But I think, you know, the big acquisitions of last year, last year we logged 11 acquisitions with purchase prices over $100 million. It was the most prolific year since we've been tracking it since 1999. And uh, as you mentioned, it did push XPO up in terms of its, uh, its ranking. We also had DSV's acquisition on the international side of UTI um, for a percent of sales, which should help UTI in terms of systems and, and uh, overall capabilities uh, in terms of what it was, was going through. It was for struggling fairly well. Um, but, you know, I think... Uh, you know, all those deals last year now have to get incorporated and, and integrated. So, you know, XPO's out of the hunt. You know, we've seen some smaller M&A activity, and that should continue. I mean, over the next five years, we'll, see, of course, see more consolidation. Uh, but then you see, you know, you see some growth um, companies like uh, Port Logistics, who's on the value-add warehousing distribution side, $200 million company grew above average last year. They focus a lot on, on retail and e-commerce. Uh, in terms of, since we've been talking so much about Amazon, you know, I mean, when you look at that e-retail space, Amazon's probably about 70%, and everybody else is about 30%. Well, somebody's got to handle the business mm. from the 30%, mm. and that's going to be left to a lot of third-party logistics providers, you know, the difference is that you won't need 1.7 million square feet like an Amazon fulfillment center. You might only need, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 square feet to handle that retail product. So I think on the third-party logistics side to tap that market, it's a, a mix of multi-client 
And then you want to make sure you don't over-automate. I mean, so you don't need tilt trace orders for that type of business. Um, but it might be a lot of each pick, and it's definitely going to be pick-pack. So, um, you know, I mean, those are some of the trends. And where we've really seen most of the growth is, you know, a lot of the growth in the market over this year and last year has been in domestic transportation management. So, um, you know, the freight brokers have done pretty well. The net revenue growth in freight brokerage last year was 16.7%, and that was slightly lower than the 20% plus we had um, from 15 to, or from 14 to 13, but you know, significant as well, and it's it's you know it's continuing to um, see shippers outsource more of their transportation management to third-party logistics providers, and it's still a very uh, strong area of growth if you look at companies like TQL, and we're trying to factor out the inorganic growth in our estimates, but TQL. You know, of course, Coyote got sold to UPS, which was the big story in domestic transportation management last year mm -hmm. um, at $1.8 billion on a purchase price. So, you know, some of, the, some of the different areas we've seen in terms of the list, the top, the top 50, and the overall market itself. All right, great. Well, thank you very much for that overview. Thank you. I think that'll about do it for today. Um, uh, if you missed uh, part of the show or you would like to watch it again, uh, that's possible by going to our website, ttnews.com, or go to liveonweb.ttnews.com. I would like to thank our sponsor, Clean Energy, as well as our production team on Live on Web, Brandon Green, Wanda Johnson, Gary Kaczynski, Tara McClellan, Shihab Mustafa, and... Joe Terry. We'd uh, also like to hear your reaction to today's broadcast, uh, and you can do that by going to LinkedIn and commenting on this episode at uh, ttn.ws/lowislinked. So that's ttn.ws/ttn. Whatever. I lost it. <laughs> Slow down. Okay. Um, uh, this is also available on iTunes, believe it or not. Uh, you, you'll find that by searching live on web. So, until next time, I'm Dan Berth, Senior Features Writer at Transport Topics. Thank you for watching. <laughs>